Pastor George here. I wanted to take a second and thank you for checking out our online messages. Our prayer is that this resource will challenge you, encourage you, and empower you as you uh, dig deeper in your relationship with Christ. But in no way will it replace God's plan for your active involvement in a local church. I do want to take a second and ask you to uh, prayerfully consider as you participate and listen to this resource, partnering with Revive as we uh, pursue our mission of seeing people live their fullest life in Christ. You can do this by going online to revivechurchga.com backslash give and making a one-time donation or setting up a recurring gift. It's through the generosity of others that we're able to provide um, a resource like this one. With that being said, uh, I do want to thank you again, and here is today's message. your Bibles. We're going to be in uh, Romans today. We're going to be in Romans chapter 10. We're going to be looking at verses 9 and verse verse 9 and verse 10. So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn there. I'm going to go ahead and read it for us um, as we jump in, but it says this. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is there was a, if you've watched the news at all, we know about this tragedy that happened in our own backyard, right? Of these eight people that were shot and killed at the um, massage parlor. And the, some of the news that has come out from this tragedy has been really shocking for me. Uh, the the guy that cur- that committed this uh, horrific crime blamed it on the fact that he was trying to remove a temptation that he had. He is a baptized member of a church congregation. Are wrong with this? There's so many things that that just don't line up with scripture and the Bible and things that that need to be unpacked and challenged and stuff that I'm not going to get into this morning. But what I I want us to know and what I do want to say is this, that as Bible-believing Christians, as Jesus followers, the one thing that is fundamental to everything we believe is that every human being is an image bearer of the God that we serve. And, and what he did is he took this sin that he had, this struggle that he had, this addiction that he had, and he blamed it on an image bearer. He blamed it on someone else or something else. And, and this, is, this is so 
I mean, if you go back and you look at Genesis, you look at the Bible, this goes back to the very first sin, right? Eve, Adam and Eve were in the garden. Everything was perfect. They were literally in heaven on earth. That's what the garden was. They're in heaven on earth. The serpent comes in, temptation presents itself. Eve eats of the fruit. Then she gives it to Adam. Adam eats of the fruit. Then God is coming through the garden. And he's like, where are you guys at? And they're hiding in the bushes. And he's like, why are you hiding? Well, because we were naked. Who knew you were naked? This is the George paraphrase. How'd you know you were naked? right and they said because we ate it they unpacked the whole story and God is getting to the heart of me he's like why did you do that and and what do they do well Adam Adam blames it on Eve the woman gave me this fruit Eve blames it on the serpent the serpent gave me this fruit this whenever there is sin that we're dealing with it's so easy for us to blame it on someone else and while this situation is horrific and it's an extreme anytime that we look at a human being and we don't see the image of God we have missed the mark he missed the mark and I know that we are so far removed from that we can't imagine ever doing anything like that but anytime that we sin against another person anytime we look at another human being and we don't see the image of God we too miss that mark when you think about the people that are in our lives, we think about coworkers that it's tempted to gossip about. They are made in the image of God. Think about family members that get on your nerves. They are made in the image of God. Think about anybody that you interact with at any time. They are made in the image of God. If they are human being, they are an image bearer. It doesn't matter male or female, black or white, Mexican or Asian, saved, unsaved, agnostic, atheist, sinner, saint. It does not matter. If they are a human being, they are made in the image of God. And this gentleman, he gets to the place where he doesn't see them that way. But we have to understand that, that is almost just like a, a magnifying glass on a bigger issue. And that bigger issue is just this division, this hate that is sur- running rampant in our world. And it, it just, it makes me think of um, one of my all-time favorite movies. Anybody in here ever seen Remember the Titans? Remember the Titans, right? Great movie, fantastic movie. One of the best parts in that movie is they're at camp, right? And they're dealing with all these racial division issues. The, the, the coach is under a micro, uh, magnifying glass. He can't do anything wrong. They have to win or he's going to lose his job. The team can't get along. They can't get anything going. They're at camp. They're bickering and fighting. And it's like this representation of the culture at large. And, and they can't find unity. And so they wake up, hit the coach, coach, Boone, Denzel Washington, he wakes him up all super early in the morning, still dark outside. He wakes him up and he says, we're going for a run. All right, and I have flashbacks to camp and this is awful, but they're running and they're running. You can see the steam coming off of them. They're running forever. They're exhausted. They're tired. They get to the end of their jog and they're at the, um, the scene of um, Civil War battle, right? And, the, and Coach Boone, Denzel Washington gives this speech and I'm just going to read it. And the team is in this racially diverse, this charged situation. And he looks at all the, all the players, and the co- including the coaches, and he says this. This is where they fought the Battle of Gettysburg. 50,000 men died right here on this field, fighting the same fight that we're still fighting amongst ourselves today. This green field right here was painted red, bubbling with the blood of young boys, smoke, and hot lead pouring right through their bodies. Listen, listen to their souls, men. I killed my brother with malice in my heart. Hatred destroyed my own family. You listen and take a lesson from the dead. 
That quote, it's so gripping, right? But it highlights this this worldview that we can see when we just look out the doors, this worldview of just hatred and division. Listen, hatred is destructive. It demoralizes families, it disseminates communities, and it divides our country. And the church is supposed to be different. The church is supposed to be different. We talked about this in our, in our small group a few weeks ago about how the church is supposed to be set apart, a, a priest, right? A group of priests. And these priests were, were to represent humanity to God and God to humanity. When you look at cultures, if you looked at the Israelites in the Old Testament, they were supposed to be a different kind of humanity. And it wasn't just for them. That extends through Jesus who reversed the curse of Genesis 3. That, that now as we follow Jesus, we are supposed to be this new humanity. We're supposed to be different. We're supposed to be righteous and holy, set apart, defined not by hate, but by love. And as we've been in this pandemic and everything has gone virtual, there's been this, this almost like a, a, a breaking point. And this is, this is purely antidotal. Like I don't have facts to give you and prove this, but I, I run in a lot of different circles kind of in the, the background of a group of pastors and people and church leaders and stuff online and communities that I'm a part of. And we've all kind of seen this breaking point that's coming, that has been highlighted by this pandemic. And there's things that are changing, churches that are getting restarts that are for the better, but it's highlighted that the church, unfortunately, can be just as broken as the world around it. They haven't, we haven't been, and and, and this is specifically the church in America, but we haven't been set apart like we were supposed to. And there's this heartbreaking moment where, where we have to realize that we are supposed to be different. And I mean, it's, it's no secret. If you get online, just think about in the past year, we've been through this political season. We've been through all kinds of social justice issues. Everything is so high, like highlighted and shines brighter than ever because of the online community that we've all kind of been forced into. But just think about some of the narratives that we've seen in the past year. Think about how just inside the church where people are literally screaming in all caps that you cannot be a Christian and vote Democrat. You cannot be a Christian and vote Republican. You cannot be a Christian and, and not wear a mask because you got to love your neighbor. You cannot be a Christian and wear a mask because then you're just following the government and you're not trusting God to keep you safe. You can't be a Christian and, and talk about all these social issues because, because then you're just a part of cancel culture. Or you, you can't be a Christian and stay silent because you got to raise your voice against all these things that are going on. You can't do anything right. And it's just this constant bickering. And this is all inside the church about how we define Christianity. There has to be a better way forward, right? There has to be something different. We're called to be different. So what is that difference? What is that better way forward? Is there even a better way forward? And I believe there is. I believe there's a different way. And, and it's nothing new, right? It's, it's something that we've seen throughout church history, but it's not easy. And it's not something that's gonna happen overnight. It's a slow change. It's a better way forward. And it starts with those two words, the words that we sing this morning, words that begin the creed. It's, I believe. I believe there is a way forward. I believe the church can be different. I believe revive can be different. I believe you can be different. It's not easy. It's not quick, but it is better. And it starts with belief. If we go to our passage today, back to, to Romans chapter, six, chapter 10, we'll see this. That Romans is this, Romans 10 is kind of this part, small part of a bigger picture. 
And if you think about Romans and kind of just kind of give you the overview, this is a letter from Paul. He's probably uh, somewhere in Corinth, you know, the, church, the first and second Corinthians. He's probably somewhere in Corinth and he's writing this letter back to Rome. So he writes this long letter and he gives it to Phoebe and Phoebe takes it back to the church in Rome. Most likely she's the one that unpacks it and reads it and presents it to the church, kind of tells them what's going on. And as we dive into this letter and you read the whole thing, it's this beautiful complex, deep letter that is almost reads like a courtroom scene. Paul is very like, uh, here's the point, here's the things that support the point. And he kind of just focuses on several different issues. We see him talk about like pastoral things and, and dealing with division and some, some racism that's going on in the church. You guys see the, the letters to a church that is mostly Gentile, but it's almost... Uh, 50-50 Gentiles and Jews, but mostly Gentile. So he's writing about issues that they're dealing with there. So it's very pastoral, but it's also very missional. He talks about raising money and how the church can help the poor and he he needs some some help from the church and things like that. But he also talks about apologetics, which is like the the philosophy side of Christianity, if you will, kind of the argument defending the faith. And so he talks about all these different issues, but there's a common thread that runs through all of it. There's a common thread that runs through all the issues, whether it's pastoral, missional, apologetics, it doesn't matter what it is, and it's highlighted here in Romans 10. So with that background, let me, let me read those verses again and, and see what Paul is talking about. It says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Going back to those words, I believe, right? I believe. He's saying Jesus is Lord. That's what he's highlighting. Jesus is Lord. If you believe it in your heart and say it with your mouth, that is the way forward. That, and and he, it, it doesn't matter what he's talking about. Whatever issues he's in, he's pointing to Jesus, and belief in Jesus is the way forward. That better way that we're talking about, it is Jesus' way. It is following him. And, and you can really hear the passion. Paul is always, if you go and you just read the, Read the book of Romans. Don't try to, don't try to see it as like a, a way of God giving you instruction on how to re- live life. Just read it like a letter from beginning to end. And you can hear Paul's passion about Jesus. And you can hear his passion about believing in Jesus no matter what. This church is made up of a lot of people who are Gentiles, who believe in, in the God of the Bible, but they don't know Jesus. They don't know that side of the story. And so he's just like pointing to Jesus over and over again. Believe, believe, believe. Highlighting this. Believe, believe, believe. And you get there and you're like, man, Paul is passionate about believing in Jesus. Why is he so passionate about this? One of the coolest parts about the Bible is it's one, it's a bunch of different letters and books, but it's one unified story. So when you get to like Romans and Galatians and Philippians and Ephesians, all these letters that Paul has written, you can go back to the book of Acts and see Paul's missionary journeys and where he was going to these different churches and see what's going on and while he's writing these letters, right? And so what's amazing about this is you can see why is Paul so passionate about this Jesus and believing in Jesus here in Romans? Well, let's just go back to his story. Let's go back to Acts 9. Go read Acts 9. Paul is, his life was, is defined by the other way. His life is defined by hatred and malice and division. He is a Pharisee and he's checked all the Pharisee boxes. He knows the, the Old Testament on the, like the front and the back of his hand. He can memorize it. He knows all the rules. He's lived the perfect righteous life according, according to the Pharisees. He's done all these things. And then this Jesus guy pops up and he starts having these people following him and these Christians are causing all kinds of problems for the 
the Pharisees, and Paul hates them, hates them so much that he gets permission from the government to kill them. He is there leading the people who stone Stephen, right? He, Paul is defined by hatred. He's defined by division. And then he's on this road, he's on this horse where he's going to, to kill and murder Christians, and this bright light shines bright, knocks him off his horse. What are the first words out of his mouth? Who are you, Lord? In that moment, in that encounter, Paul immediately recognizes Jesus as Lord. The Lord is the word he uses. Then we get back to Acts. Jesus is Lord. That's what he's saying to believe, what he's saying to confess. He, from that moment, this is the same guy. He's on the road to murder people. Later, he writes to Corinthians, if you have anything other than love and you don't do it in love, you're a noisy gong. His life moves from being defined by hatred to being defined by love. That's the transformation that happens when you say, I believe in Jesus is Lord. And it's not just in the mouth, it's in the heart. We're going to get there. But if you keep reading, what's amazing is one of the parallel passages for this uh, um part in Romans is Acts 16. And I love Acts 16. If you go and you read Acts 16, it it starts out and Paul is traveling. He's on one of these missionary journeys and he runs into um, this group of women. And then he starts sharing the gospel with them. He starts talking about Jesus. And it turns out that one of these women's, one of these women is named Lydia. And she believes in the God of the Bible, but she doesn't know this Jesus guy like I was talking about earlier. And then it says that her heart is open and she becomes a believer in Jesus. She's converted in that moment when she hears this message of Paul talking about this Jesus guy where his life has been transformed from hatred to love. She hears this story and she is then transformed from hatred to love. And what happens? If you go and you read it, what happens? She goes and her entire household ends up getting saved. Her entire household ends up getting baptized. And when it's household, it's not just talking about family members. This is slaves and this is uh, anybody that in and out of that lives in her house. And, and we know that because she's selling purple uh, clothing, that she is a wealthy businesswoman. She has a lot of people in her household, right? She, she is an entrepreneur. She's wealthy. So we see later that she helps fund some of Paul's stuff. And so she, this is a, a big thing. This small movement, one person saying, I believe Jesus is Lord, transforms her entire household. Acts 16 keeps going. What happens? That Paul and his crew are arrested and they're thrown in jail. Then this violent earthquake happens. The, the cells are thrown open and they've got a chance to escape. But Paul is led by the Holy Spirit to not leave. He stays in there. The jailer wakes up, sees that the, the, the prisoners could have escaped and he goes to take his own life. And in that moment, Paul yells out, don't do it. And he walks forward and that jailer is blown away by the love that has defined Paul. And guess what happens? I believe Jesus is Lord. He becomes a believer. And then what does he do? He says, you have to come to my family. And it says that his entire family is baptized. His entire family comes to faith because the one jailer placed his faith in Jesus as Lord. So there's this whole movement that happens everywhere Paul goes where he preaches this message of Jesus is Lord. We see transformation. We see people go from this old way defined by hate to this new way defined by love. The way forward is that faith in Jesus as Lord. The way forward is that faith in Jesus as Lord. I believe it. Paul is passionate because he's lived it. It affected his life. He saw it happen to Lydia. He saw it happen to the jailer. He saw it happen over and over and over again in his ministry. So I ask you again to look at your own life. Where do you see brokenness? 
where do you see division and hate? Because Jesus can heal it. A toxic work environment, Jesus can move in that situation. A toxic marriage, Jesus can move. A struggle as a parent, Jesus can move. Dealing with heartache, pain, loneliness, Jesus can heal it. His death, burial, and resurrection has defeated sin. And as we grow in him, as we grow in him and allow the Holy Spirit to lead us in every area of our life, I promise you will begin to see the the darkest areas of your life become healed. Jesus has that power. And when we place our faith in him, we are transformed, we are matured, we grow in him. And when we grow in him, there's these areas in our lives that, that die and are resurrected and made new in Jesus Christ. You see, it's, there's a key there, and that is in that growth and that maturity. Because while the first step is to say, I believe, after that, there has to be growth in that belief. There's a, um, a part of the, the breaking point in the church that we've been talking about is there's been this definition of success by the number of people that get saved. So if you look at, pastors have to turn in their, their reports to their denominations and their districts, and, and it's important that people are getting saved. It's important that you're growing. That evangelism is a vital part of being a disciple, but what's happened is all that mattered was that people were getting saved. So churches could turn in reports of 50 people getting saved every single Sunday, and it's celebrated, but there's no character development. And the problem is you end up getting places where there's people are checking the box, but there's nothing that's really happened in their heart. If we go back to this text, Paul says that you can declare with your mouth, but you have to believe in your heart. It's not this special formula where you, you know, if you say the right words and then you believe it at the right time. No, he's saying that, that it's all about the heart. And when your heart is transformed, then you're able to profess with your mouth that you are a believer. He's getting back to that sense of, of, of it has to be uh, real, authentic faith in your heart. And from there, there is growth and maturity. And growth and maturity is not easy. That's where the pain comes in. Matthew 5.30, Jesus is talking and he talks about if your sin, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. Now, is he talking about literally? I don't think so. But as we can all imagine how excruciatingly painful it would be to cut off our own hand. Well, there's times in our life where the sin is rooted so deep, it is excruciatingly painful to deal with that sin. Sometimes there's a sin in your life that is caused by trauma from when you were a child and you have to go to counseling and deal with that trauma. Sometimes there's sin that is habitual sin that you've done it for so much of your life that you have to go to counseling and deal with that sin. And it is not easy, it is painful, but it leads to maturity. And when we have maturity and character and that is held at high priority because it starts with faith, and moves into maturity. And that's how we end up walking into that new way, that way of love. It starts with belief, but it has action after that. It's not a magic formula, but it's believing and knowing that God can change us. He can transform us. That's when we talk about the the, the Apostles' Creed. It's not this sense of if I say it a bunch of times, then I'm going to believe it and I'm going to be saved. There's a, There can be a... Um, I guess, a, a category of believers that, that kind of see the Apostles' Creed and other things as punitive as they pay the price for my sin, right? So if I say the Apostles' Creed five times, that makes up for the sin that I committed. And that's not how it works, right? It's not this incantation, this magic spell that we say, but it's like a consolidation. It's a way of saying, this is what we believe. And so when we go through and we talk about this creed, we have to understand that, that it starts with, I believe, 
because it's not something that we just say with our mouths, but it's something that we believe in our heart. I believe, if you believe that Jesus is king, that is our starting point. And when we believe, then the next step is knowing what it means to be a follower of Christ. And that's where the creed comes in. We believe he rose from the dead. We believe Jesus is king, but what's next? Let's get back to the basics. That's why we're using the creed here. That's why we're talking about the Apostles' Creed. If you kind of give us a history on the Apostles' Creed, it is an adaptation from the old Roman creed, right? The old Roman creed first has its dates It's first seen back in 140 AD. So we're talking 1900 plus years of Christians saying this creed over and over and over again. It's largely considered to be the creed of creeds, right? So so there's several creeds. There's the Nicene Creed and the the Apostles' Creed are kind of the ones that the church uses heavily today. They kind of help keep up guardrails. So as we talk about and we preach the word, there's things that are open-handed issues and closed-handed issues. Well, the creeds kind of help us make sure that our open-handed issues stay inside the faith because if you get outside of the creeds, then you're you're not a Christian, right? These are the fundamentals. Um, Martin Luther says it this way. Let me see, make sure I can find it. Where did I put the quote? There's no, there's no possible way that the Christian faith could be put in a shorter or clearer statement. Right? It's this consolidation. It's the absolute basics. The creed shows us what is primary. So we have to make sure that as we study this, as we unpack the Bible, as you move forward, that the creed is, is a guidepost, if you will. And, and so as we kind of unpack what it looks like and what it is, one of the things I want to talk about is what it was used for at first in the early church. And the big things were it was used to, um, for spiritual formation. Spiritual formation is just church talk for that growing in Christ that we talked about. So people would, they would get saved. They would say, you know what, Jesus is Lord. I believe this. And this is an early church. And so what they would do is they would, they had baptisms every year on Easter. So somebody would get saved and they would go through these, what they called catechisms. They'd go through these classes where they unpacked the basics of Christian faith, the basics of what it meant to be a believer. And one of the tools they used was this Apostles' Creed. So they said, as you go through, you unpack it, this is the basics of what it means to be a Christian. And so that's kind of what we're gonna be doing. We're gonna be going through this creed and say, Loa, we believe Jesus is Lord and we believe that following him means that there is a better way that we can have impact and change in our community. So if we believe that, what does it even mean to believe that? And so that's kind of what we're going to be doing. We're going back to the basics. We're getting simple. We're going to follow this creed and see what it means to believe that Jesus is Lord. Another thing that it was used for is it was a way that people dealt with persecution. People were dying. Peter got put on the cross upside down. All the original disciples were were put to death except for John, and he was left to die on an island, right? So you, you see that they, people want it. If they're going to give their life, they want to know what they believe. And so there's a sense that it was used as a tool to deal with persecution. It was consolidation. It was uh, unity. This is a big part of what it was. It, like I said earlier, 1900 plus years, when we say the creed, we are linking up with Christians for 1900 plus years that have read and said this creed. Christians who gave their lives as martyrs, Christians who were persecuted, Christians who paid the way for change in their own countries, Christians who speak different languages, have a different skin color, who worship differently, Christians all over the world, past and present, 
believed the same thing. This is a sense of unity where, where one of the big things of, with hate and division is we, we look at people and we take their humanity away from them. Now they're just an avatar on a screen. And we feel like we can yell and say and bully and do whatever we want. And it creates this big division. But when we think about the creed, do you believe this? Me too. We are together. We're united. It doesn't matter if you don't ordain women. It doesn't matter if you speak in tongues in your worship service. It doesn't matter if you sing and chant in hymns or if you sing these rock song contemporary worship. It doesn't matter if you worship different. What matters is you believe this absolutely primary things about the Bible. We are together. There are times where we're going to butt heads and we're going to have differences, but we have to see them as a human being and move forward in, in healthy discourse. And that's the, the answer. We have to have, be unified over this. And so that's the message I have for us today. I want you to look at your own life and realize that you are like Lydia. You are like the jailer. You are like Paul. These aren't people that are put on a pedestal as something we can't reach. When you place your faith in Jesus, you have the power to impact those around you. You have the power to change your family. You have the power to change your work environment. You have the power to make an impact everywhere that you are. So as we close today, what I want us to do is I want us to stand up and we're going to read the creed together. And as you read the creed, I want you to think about those words. I want you to think about the fact that you're linking up with all these Christians all over the world, past and present, who believe this same thing. And as we leave here today, I want us to know that as we go forward, we're going to be diving into the creed and the word and just seeing how we can get back to these fundamentals and follow this and know what we believe, say it with our mouth, but believe it in our heart and have and live a better way forward.